Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 83, Skill Building, recorded on October 23rd, 2018. My name is Julie Fafam Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I'm awaiting the uh, second onslaught of a few people from Matthew's film crew because they're going to do some reshooting, catching some things they've missed this weekend. And of course, the forecast is cold and rainy. I know we've really slammed into winter, but I do know that you've got some chocolate chip cookies waiting. So that's a lucky film crew. Well, we'll see how many are left when they show up. (laughs) My brother has an amazing metabolism. He eats ice cream and cookies every single day. He eats Thin Mints by the sleeve, and he's still a skinny little thing. It's amazing. I still have one box saved, and uh, soon it will be time for Girl Scout cookies to come back. So we're we're eking it out here, cookie by cookie. Buy a case once more. Okay, so today we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Well, then let's talk. Okay, where do you want to start? Let's talk about uh, you're doing this new skill, which is pottery. You and Steve are taking a class together, and I have done pottery and found it was tremendous physical work. Upper body, you know, back, shoulders, arms, areas in which I'm not known to be particularly (laughs) strong. Um, And the preparation of the clay is really like preparing a house to be painted. It's not the glamorous stuff, but if you don't do it right, you can't get the good results. Yeah, so Tuesdays are now my number one favorite day because that's the day we go to pottery class. And I... I am amazed at how much physical work it is. Like you are hunched over this wheel, your hands, your arms, you know, the whole thing. But I will say what I find most interesting is our teacher, who I like so much. We should have her on the podcast. She's really wonderful. Um, She says that her issue with wheel throwing is her knees hurt after a while, which is funny, right? Because you're sitting is she putting a lot of torque on her knees? Is she so the pressing thing is, their legs? It's, it's not necessarily just her. Apparently, this is very common for potters. A lot of potters, because uh, I told her I've been watching a ton of pottery videos. I'm like, I, you know how people are with like cat videos or cute Asian baby videos or whatever. Like, I watch pottery videos all day long. And I said to her, oh, I've known every week I come in and I'm like, I saw this pottery video. And I want to ask her about all the things in it. But... Uh, The video that I talked to her about recently was one in which this woman was talking about learning to how to training herself to throw on the wheel standing. And I said, that strikes me as really hard because part of the throwing experience is being able to look down from the top and use your body weight Mm -hmm. to push the clay down. And she was like, it is very hard, but a lot of potters end up going to standing when either their knees or their hips, you know, give out. Or finally, their backs can't take that position. And I thought that's interesting that it's such a common injury. It kind of reminds me of how um, printmakers who work with a press and with a lot of oil-based inks 
often wear gloves now because they've shown that repeated exposure to those paints is very toxic and your body develops an allergy. And so a lot of young printers I've seen wearing gloves say they do it because they want to be able to have long careers and work for a long time. So with pottery, you know, all this stuff I sort of never thought about, about physical injury. But now that I think about it, I have not seen like a 90-year-old guy at a wheel, although I'm sure there, there are, are some. some. There are some, but I would say that... Uh, you are, you would be smart to be careful about the position of your body when you're doing this ergonomically. You do a lot of sitting anyway because of the nature of your work. And I think you need to watch out. I'm trying to be careful, you know, and, you know, Steve is the best class companion I could have asked for because he is so kind about doing stuff like cleaning up. Meaning he does like, yours? Like he'll do my cleaning <laughs> up. Like I was the finishing painting and I was trying to rush to finish by class because, you know, you have to spend about a half an hour cleaning up. And he was like, don't worry, I'll do it. And like, you know, he's also a very kind classmate in the sense of like I was struggling. I mean, really, this has not been easy for me. I, I think that um, it's important to be a beginner. And I say that and I mean that. But it's hard. That's why it's important because I'm a better teacher when I can remember how it feels to suck at something, to struggle with it, to have trouble with it, to be angry and frustrated. And at one point he was taking a, I think I put it in my vlog even maybe, I, he was taking a video of me at the wheel and I was like, you know, being silly for the video. And then there's sort of a very real moment that he caught when I just looked at him and I said, I'm struggling. And he said, it's okay. Like, you'll be fine. Just keep going. And it's nice because taking a class with a friend or someone who's more than a friend, uh, I had forgotten. It's been a long time since I've done that. And it's really nice to have someone on the journey to sort of carry you along when you need those moments. And also, I take real joy in seeing, like, he's gotten so good at throwing. Like, when you see our first misshapen, terrible pots to where we are just four weeks later, he threw some beautiful, huge bowls today that are perfectly round. And that sounds stupid because you think that the wheel makes it easy to make things round, but it doesn't. Uh, I actually say the wheel does make it easy. You make it hard. <laughs> um, but like, I'm just, I'm impressed with his, you know, concentration, ability, stick-to-itiveness. And then also, he knows absolutely what he wants. And he has no desire to be anything other than what he is. So it's fascinating to take class with him because I'll be like, oh, Steve, are you going to decorate it? Are you going to carve it? Are you going to do this? He's like, no, it's going to be blue. It's for potatoes. Hmm. And that's just, you know. Any particular type of potatoes. It's clearly for mashed potatoes. <laughs> but, you know, and he was like, this is our mashed potato bowl. Uh, and he's just absolute and he knows exactly the blue that he wants and he knows and he's just like he is happy and thrilled in a different way than I am. Like he really is seeing the pottery as like a practical thing that he's creating. Today he specifically wanted to learn how to make a pitcher because we bought a new coffee machine. And so instead of having a Keurig, which is just one cup, we now have like a regular you know, like Mr. Coffee. And so we have extra coffee left over and he wants to put it in the refrigerator and he was like, I want a pitcher to put the coffee in. 
in the refrigerator. You know, whereas I'm like, I don't care what it looks like. I just want to learn the technique and I want to like paint it and I want to carve it and I want to see what happens if I poke it with a this. And, you know, we're just there for such different reasons. It's kind of fantastic. And, and that for me is a sort of exciting learning experience too, because one of the things I always ask when I teach is I say to people, what do you want to get out of class? And that's an important question, A, because it helps me understand where everybody's coming from, you know, and what their expectations are. I, I do like to meet people's expectations if possible, or I like to tell them within the first five minutes if it ain't going to happen. Uh, and two, because I think it's important to go into any learning experience thinking about what you want to take out of it. You know, because if you're aware of it, then you're looking for it. It's like when you get new shoes and suddenly you're looking at everybody's shoes. It's like if you're thinking of that thing, then you're aware of it when it comes by. All right. So having gotten this far, you're a few weeks into it. Do you see yourself going further with pottery? Can you tell already that this yeah, is something that you want to keep doing? 100%. Yes. Like even Steve today was like, how much does a wheel cost? Can you put a kiln outside? I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, Steve and I are going to have like wars over the pottery wheel in the basement. Uh, I can. So after the first class, I said to Steve, I was like, yeah, I'm never doing this again. That It was so hard. It was so difficult. It was so. And I think that is the problem with taking a one day class or a one time class, which is everybody's bad at things the first time. And if they're not, you know, screw them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing is, everybody, it's tough and it like takes a while for you to really get into it and see the whole process and love it. And that's why I'm such an advocate of multi-day, multi-week, you know, classes over time, because I think learning takes time. Um, but I would say I can totally see signing up for more classes. I can totally see that I want to do more. I can, uh, because this is a subject that is so deep. This is a field that is so deep. Like, if, uh, forget any of the wheel throwing, which is fantastic and it's exciting, but it's not my favorite part. I mean, I'm glad to have the vessel at the end of it and I'm proud of myself when it goes like up and down and doesn't fall apart. But the parts that I love are the trimming, the decorating, the service design. And if I tell you I could take a class every single day for the rest of my life and not learn all of the you know, transfers, decorations, burning, cutting, carving, like, you know, it is like any field of fine art or craft, deep. You know, there's such a long history of pottery in the history of mankind, right? One of the things that you find in even early settlements is you're looking for shards, meaning pieces of pottery, that there's all these different cultures through time have had their own type of pottery. I think you would find yourself now going to ethnographic museums in a different way. And there's tons of stuff for you to read about pottery. And I'll bet the next time we go to a craft fair, you'll look at the pottery differently. Well, I said to my teacher, I was like, oh my God, the next time I go to a craft fair, the first thing I'm gonna do is pick up the pot and turn it over. I said, I've never done that before. I have some pieces I've bought from potters over the year, which I'm going home to pick up and turn over. Because now that I understand about like feet and trimming and all this kind of stuff, it's like, I'm going to look at it a different way. And she said, the second you pick something up and turn it over, they're going to know you're a potter because nobody does that unless they're looking for, you know, specific workmanship stuff. And I also think, you know, 
I've watched, uh, I'm sorry to sound like a crazy person, but when I get obsessed with something, I get obsessed. And so I've watched so many videos and, you know, Instagram videos and YouTube videos. And one of my favorite was there's a guy, I think in India, I'm not sure the caption was vague and didn't really set a location, but it looked like India. And what he does is he has a, just a wooden wheel, which he takes a stick and he like, bangs it with a stick until it starts go like pushes it with a stick like kids might do on something you know what i mean until it starts going faster and faster and faster and once it has reached the huge speed he sits cross-legged down in front of it and he and he just he starts making pots and when i tell you that he makes these little pots one after another in incredible rapid succession in a video that is not sped up in any way but it could be and in one hand he seems to have a wire to cut them off of this cone of clay he's working and all around him in this giant circle are these hundreds of these tiny pots drying in the sun that he's been sitting there making all day. And this is a process that just goes on. As soon as the wheel stops spinning and slows down, then he stands up, gets the stick, boom, 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 sit down, makes 10 more pots. You know, I mean, it, it's mind boggling. And I think when I think about how I have all the advanced technology of like a foot pedal and, you know, a bucket of water and like all these things that you're supposed to have in order to make it work. And then you see how this is a really ancient thing that you just don't need all that stuff to do if you have the skill and the knowledge. It's amazing. Does he fire the pots on the video? So in the video, he doesn't, but I asked my teacher about it because I'm I'm super geeked out about it. And she's really knowledgeable. She has a studio. Um, she, just, she teaches part-time at Harvard, um, both undergraduate and graduate students in their pottery studio. And I think she rents space, studio space over at the Harvard um, clay area or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what they call it. Um, but anyway, so she was saying that what they do is they build, they have a pit and they layer um, cow pies with um, sticks and twigs and stuff like that. And it's this, and they and they fill the pit with it. And there's like an air kind of that there are the holes that come out of the pit in order to have like air circulation. And then it like bakes under this delicious cow pie situation for like three days. And then so, they let it cool mm-hmm. down after all the fire burns out. And then they go in and they retrieve everything. Oh. Interesting, right? Yeah, I think, honestly, this could be a whole new field of interest for you. And I just wonder where you're going to get your cow pies. <laughs> well, I know. I think the cow pies are not the hard part. I'm pretty sure people <laughs> give those away for free. I think the um, the interesting thing to me about it is that a clay, a paint studio seems like it's a messy idea in a lot of ways. Yeah, in but fact, com- I remember it after the first lesson, you were saying that Steve did not like coming out so dirty. Yeah, and he I, would just—he still says after every class, "I'm so dirty." Wow. Yeah, because the thing is, like, your sh- my shoes are covered in clay, my clothes are covered in clay, my your hands all the way up your arms is covered like i've had it in my hair on my face because by the nature of like it's wet your hands are covered you know if you scratch yourself it's all i the first day i had it all over my nose we were sitting in a restaurant having lunch after class and steve was like something's wrong with your nose <laughs> <laughs> and i looked and sure enough all on the bottom part of my nose was clay i was just thinking of it like a clay mask for health well Yes, but for the first time, it wasn't a pimple. 
there you go. Very exciting moment. Uh, but yeah, I really, I really, really love it. I'm really excited by it. The idea of setting up a pottery studio is enormously daunting. I don't think that you can do it as a light hobby. I think you probably take classes a lot to get to the point where you can decide whether or not it's something that you're willing to commit. Because I think like you'd have to have a huge spot. I'm saying basement as where you'd have to have the spot because I can't imagine it's so it's so dirty and it's like and the kiln and da, 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 and all this stuff like I don't know, you know how else you would do it. There are lots of places around actually around here mm -hmm. where you can rent time in a pottery studio. I don't think yeah. you have to have your own. I think this idea of having your own everything at a certain point your interests are so wide maybe you don't need to have your own everything. I agree and like the thing that I said to our teacher which I think is true is like once you've thrown the pot and it's at the leather hard stage, which is when you're carving and painting and doing all this other stuff, like you don't need to be in a pottery studio to do that. You could be sitting at home, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. doing that kind of stuff. But it's like, uh, so actually I purchased some extra studio time because I wanted to be able to go in when I'm not in class and do the stuff that I sort of don't need the teacher for because I think I'll be able to proceed more quickly if I do the stuff that I don't need her for, like decorating and da, da 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 that kind of stuff. And then in class, have her help me with some of the wheel throwing or like I learned how to add a handle today so that I made a cup, which is now my favorite cup. It is misshapen and I love it. It is the only cup I will ever use from now on. I hope you, it holds water. Until you break it. I know. We were carrying Steve's bowl into the house. It's the first bowl that we've been able to take home. And he almost dropped it. And I thought he was going to cry. He had like a small heart attack. I think it goes along with being a potter. Is that you, right. you, There's a certain amount of losses all along the way. I know. I'm glad you're having so much fun with it. And I also think... This is a hobby that can lead to a deep interest, which can be both satisfying physically, artistically, and intellectually for you. Yes, and I will also say this, which is I, I talked to the teacher because it, Steve and I are the only people in class. It just ended up that way that nobody else signed up for class. We just got really lucky. And so we have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with the teacher. So we were just sitting painting pots today and discussing stuff. And she said to me, when I pulled a handle for the first time, she said, wow, I've never seen anybody do such a good first pull on a handle. And then she said, but I get, I think it's because you, most people, the reason that people have problems with it is they go too fast and they don't, you know, pay attention to blah, 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 blah. And she said, I'm sure you have muscle memory from being an artist, you know, that's helping you with this. And I said, I'm sure that I do. And I think that that's true for a lot of things. Like, you know, I, I painted flowers and text and stuff all over my pots today. And that's muscle memory just from years and years of painting. You know, I don't have to learn a new skill in order to do that. Or even the surface carving. Somebody said on Instagram when I posted a picture of one of my pots, I said, oh, I bet you have muscle memory from stamp carving. And you know what? Right, I, right. I do. And so even though things are different in some of those areas, there are also a lot of things that are the same. And so I feel like I'm able, therefore, to sort of take advantage of all those other skills I have and bring them in this arena. So the uh, the op opposing question i guess is the interesting one which is even if i never pursue the pottery any further than i'm taking it today what 
will be the influence that those skills and that experience, you know, has on the other work that I do. How right. will I see What's it? What's the legacy of this experience so far? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I'm in the throes of it and I can't know at this moment, but I'm very curious to find out. So many wonderful areas ahead. I mean, just the idea of picking glazes and seeing how they oh react gosh. to the kiln. That's a whole other thing. I know you love color. Well, I yes, but it's under glazes and glazes. So now you're talking about color mixing of all kind because they have these really cool tiles in the studio that show you like, you know, here's this underglaze 10 times. Then here are 10 different glazes on top of that underglaze, you know, and it's the same underglaze every time. But here it's purple. Here it's green. Here it's orange. Here's, and it's like, how does this one color change so many ways? So it's super exciting. And then plus it's like, are you working on white pottery or terracotta colored pottery? Are you working on? I mean, I think my brain, I'm so excited. I think the thing is I'm so excited because I feel like there's so much more to learn. There's so much more to uh, plunge on it. And I, it's not that I don't think there's so much more to learn about like collage or design or painting or any of the stuff that I play with every day. But I would say I'm at a point in those things where the things I'm learning are smaller. The things I'm learning are nuanced. The things I'm learning are personal taste. The things I'm learning are how to be better. The things I'm learning are like little tricks that make my life easier, workflow, you know, so doing the pottery, it's like I'm having the big light bulbs. It's like I would I would say the difference is I'm in a marriage with like painting and collage. So it's lovely and I'm having a good time, but I kind of know what it is, you know, whereas I am like hot and heavy dating pottery. Whoa. I know. And I would we... put it a different way, <laughs> which is something I experienced when the computer came in, because I'm old enough to know when there wasn't a computer, which is you suddenly see that there's a door in your house that you didn't know was there, and you open it, and there's a whole new room. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's exciting, and I am intellectually stimulated Lord knows my shoulders and my back are physically stimulated. I just, and you know, I'm actually very emotionally stimulated in some ways by taking this class with Steve. When I sort of suggested it to him as a thought, I didn't actually think he would say yes. Hmm. And it has been a surprise and a delight that not only has he said yes, but I don't feel like he's doing it just to be kind to me. Like he genuinely enjoys it. He also... We ran into this woman who's the head of the um, Art, Center. Art Center. Uh, and to, her name is uh, Birdie. And she, he just announced to her, he was like, we have to go to class. We're in a competition and I'm winning. Whoa. <laughs> but I love it that, but that he says that, but he doesn't mean it. Do you know what I mean? And so like, he's very encouraging. And yet at the same time, I feel like he's in it to win it. And that's exciting and fun that we're both, you know, doing this thing together so i really i'm I'm having a really good time have to know what the definition of winning is because if it's first bowl finished <laughs> then he, he won. has won he won it's true uh if it's really most round bowls he also wins because his bowls are much more perfectly round than mine if that's if your it's, goal yeah i don't know if it is your goal i would put it this way which is I didn't feel like I could draw weird faces until I had finally drawn a realistic face. Once I knew I could do it, 
I felt comfortable to move on. So I'm fine with misshapen as long as I know that I can do a round one. And I'm 50-50 on whether or not I can. So we'll see. But I, I mean, I feel like I am getting better. Good. So practice, practice, practice. My money's on you. Yes. And then as you said, everybody's getting bowls for Christmas. Yes, although whether I can part with any of the bowls will be a separate ah. issue. <laughs> and you give your children away. Right? It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah, but you have to keep on doing stuff with your all the things you make. You can't possibly hoard everything. I right. understand that. Right. Yes, I'll have to let some of the bowl. Don't worry, Mom. You're getting a bowl. You're getting a bowl. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Because I can have visitation rights and come and see it at your house. Then you can inherit it when I'm dead. Perfect. Also good, right? Right. Anything else to say about the pottery class? No. I. This was something I always wanted to do. I never knew whether I would like it. I'm so glad that I took more than a one day. Because I think if I had taken a one day, I would have walked away and said, this is not for me. Yeah, exactly. But the multi-week really has been good, good, good choice. So. You've also been working on your own new online classes, which I think are going to, are they going to be debuting November 1st, which is actually creeping up on us? Yeah, so they'll be open for registration November 1st, and then they'll go live on December 1st. I, uh, you know, people ask me for online classes constantly, and I just haven't had sort of a focus on it. And so I really put a focus on it and I've developed a new plan to really build out a robust and active classroom. So my hope is to basically every single year, we'll see how well this works, but the hope is there'll be 16 new classes every single year, four offered every quarter. Wow. And I know it's big, it's a big thing, but I sort of chartered out what I think the 16 classes are for this next year. Um, and I obviously have almost completed filming the first four. Um, but so each class is basically uh, each quarter there is what is considered what I consider an intensive class, meaning like a big commitment class, a class that's going to take you like one to three months to complete the content. So it's like tw more than 20 videos. I think I'm close to 30 videos in this uh, one that I'm going to offer coming up. Then there's what I'm calling a mini intensive class, which is still an in-depth experience, but it's something that you could do in, let's say, a month. Like you could you could do all the classwork in a month. Um, and then there are two very small uh, classes. One is a project class, meaning we make a project from start to finish. Um, and then the other one is a technique class where all it is is here's a technique. So it's like if you want to take a class where you can watch half an hour of video and make a project, I got you. If you want to just learn a technique because you don't like other people's projects, you just want to learn an art technique, boom, I got you. If you want to spend a month, you know, or drag it out over longer than that because you do get lifetime access, you know, to do the mini intensive, fantastic. Or if you want like a serious immersive you know, art experience where you're really engaged with whatever this task is, like that is what the intensive classes are. And so I hope there's something for everyone. I've tried to also cover like this is surface design and this is that and that's that. I'm hoping that, you know, 
eventually I will get to the point where I can be sure that like one class is printmaking and one class is, you know, um, drawing and one class so that so that sort of everybody can be happy at all times. But we'll see the best laid plans of mice and men. So far, I'm on schedule. But um, I, I had a little classroom crash meltdown, which was kind of terrible. But it has forced me to uh, re-engage with uh, WordPress and Lynda.com and Google. And the four of us have gotten together. And I think that we have built a stronger and better platform. So I'm really happy. So you're not just dating pottery you're also dating some other people on the internet let me say we get around or i get around to a <laughs> lot of different people so yeah okay yeah, yeah. but it's well, good i'm excited about it and i think um i think whenever i start teaching an idea i get really excited again because just like pottery i start being like this is really deep and it's like how deep do you want to go do you want to talk all the way do you want to talk historical do you want to like get into the minutia of it and then i start thinking i mean part of the reason that this course that i had imagined at 20 videos has ballooned to almost 30 is like i keep thinking of additional ideas where i'm like oh i should show them how to do this oh i should show them how to do this oh wait if i can do this then i can also do that and so it's just sort of gone bloop, 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 bloop. save some in the next four months <laughs> four months all right let's talk kipu and yayoi yeah, so let's talk about two female living artists, non-Americans, who are both having big time success at the moment. One slightly more than the other, but um, both are somewhat immersive experiences. So uh, let's talk first about Kipu's and Cecilia Vicuña. So she is a Chilean artist. She is, uh, from what I understand from having talked to people in Chile, she is like as well known as Andy Warhol. Like, everybody knows who Cecilia Vicuña is. Um, here in America, she's less well known. She is a performance artist and a poet. And her primary... She always, she tells the story, and I went to a lecture where she spoke last night, and she tells the story that she grew up in the countryside the uh, in a family of artists and intellectuals. And every house was full of art and a library. And in one of those libraries, when she was a child, she found a book that contained information about kipus. So kipus, Q-U-I-P-U, -I, I believe is how we spell it, um, was an ancient form of record keeping and storytelling that is as old as the written word. I believe it was the Aztecs. Uh, method of keeping records and essentially it's a series of knots on a string and depending which way it's knotted how many knotted how far the knot is what color the knot is what color the string is that you could read entire histories because basically they had developed a system of record keeping that was uh, based in math and where numbers became letters and uh, then when the Spanish came and and uh, ruined everything <laughs> they 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 burned the kipus, they banned the kipus, and basically an entire language and hundreds of years of history was essentially lost. We somewhat understand how to read kipus. We've never found like the Rosetta Stone of kipus, but 
we have somehow been able to piece together portions of it. The thing that Cecilia said that I think was really interesting is that it turns out that lots of museums are in possession of quipos because to keep them safe, people buried them many years ago to keep them from the Spanish burning them because, again, they're made of fiber, so they burn really easily. So museums are in possession of them because they've been found during digs and you know, all kinds of stuff, but they don't know what they are. They think they're decorative. They have them marked as, you wall know, hangings, wall and hangings or necklaces or do you know what I mean? They don't know what they're for. And so what happens is scholars and other people go to museums and they start looking through what the museum has and they're like, that's a kipu. And the museum, of course, is like, what's a kipu? So what Cecilia Vicuña does is she takes the kipu and sort of exaggerates it, for lack of a better term. So she's building, if a kipu thread is like an embroidery floss thread, let's say about that size in real life, she builds one that is made out of like, you know, imagine like a pashmina scarf. So it's the, the knot is the size of my head, you know, and it's hanging, That's you know. That's big. Yeah, exactly. Huge. <laughs> But she's done some that are like, you know, hang 60 meters in the sky and fill an entire enormous museum, you know, atrium. And then she does these performances where like the kipu sort of wraps around her and the other performers. And she does a lot of um, somebody was specifically asking her about color and she very much relates, um, you know, kipu's use of color was very significant. And she says her use of color is very purposeful, whether she's thinking of like red for menstrual blood and you know, or blue for the sky or like whatever it is that it all relates. She, she, she's, um, she is very much a poet and a performer. The entire lecture, she whispered, she whispered in a little, a little high voice like this, which I think is genuinely the way that she speaks, but it was weird. <laughs> um, and your brother came home from this event. <laughs> yeah. And he started doing the singing that apparently she does. Yes, has. she opened. I put it. I put. I think I put it on the uh, museum council Instagram. I might have also put it in my own Instagram stories. But um, she uh, opened by singing because she said she didn't have the words to say thank you for having the exhibit, so she needed to sing, which I thought was an interesting thing to say because you know in the theater when you're writing a musical. And the question is, when do you put in a song? The answer is always when there's too much emotion to speak, that's where the song goes. And so I thought, well, that's interesting that she's saying that she doesn't have the words and she's so emotional that she has to sing in order to thank us. I mean, that's a theory of opera, too, right? When you hit the emotional peaks, you're singing. Right. So she also talked a lot about sort of astrophysics and the cosmos and the Milky Way and the umbilical cord of a Milky Way and some other stuff that I didn't understand and can't remember. Um, Far ranging. It, it was. talk. It was. And uh, so she, she's an interesting character. Then the other exhibit that I went to this no, week. I, I just have to yeah. ask you one thing. I understand that at this exhibit event they served hot dogs why so they always try to theme the food a little bit to whatever the exhibit is i mean not right. like on top of it so they have something called a completo bar 
And a Complete Dobar is like kind of like a make your own hot dog thing. I think it's like a pretty traditional Peruvian thing is my understanding. I, I thought she was Chilean. Or I, I said I just say Peruvian. I'm sorry. I was looking online to see if I could find it and it says Peru and I suddenly the word Peru came out of my mouth. Yes, I think it must be. I don't know. She talks she's Andean is my understanding. Okay. Um so I think that is why the hot dogs were there because you could put salsa and guacamole and all sorts of stuff on your hot dog. I'm not sure that's Chilean. It's called a completo bar. <laughs> you can talk to the museum, see what's I'm happening. I'm just wondering. That's all. Just wondering. That's what I was told. Um. Anyway, so the other exhibit that I went to see was Yayoi Kusama, who is a Japanese artist who I think I've spoken on the podcast about before. She lives in a mental institution by choice. Um. And she says her work is based on like the, her hallucinations. So her stated, A, she says that Andy Warhol stole her idea of repeating objects because she had expressed it to him and then he made the soup cans and the rest is history. Uh, Georgia O'Keeffe was also an early mentor to Yayoi Kusama, which I find interesting. Yayoi Kusama wrote to Georgia O'Keeffe as a young girl and Georgia O'Keeffe was very encouraging towards her and I think uh, encouraged her to visit the U.S. and stuff. Um, so she has stated that her goal is to be more famous than Andy Warhol. And according to Instagram hashtags, she might be close. Um, she does the, a lot of rooms, installation rooms. And, and while we were looking at it, we were talking to someone who said that she had done a room that was filled with these big shiny balls. You probably could find pictures on it if you just, this it sounds like something terrible to Google, but if you just Google like Yayoi Kusama silver balls. Um, and, and it's this huge art installation. And then she was selling each of the balls. Like anybody could buy a ball. And people thought that was like ugly and base or something like that, which I thought was a hilarious thing to what, say. The idea of selling? Selling just a single ball because it's an art installation. It's all meant to go together to like one, per, you know. So the commercialism of selling balls to whoever wants them. Artists should starve. Artists should starve. Oh, oh, wait. This is actually really interesting. So can we flash back to Cecilia Vicuña for one more time? So one of the reasons that Cecilia Vicuña was at the MFA is because she received a commission. And the Museum Council, which is the group that I belong to the museum, paid, raised money um, for part of that commission. So I was speaking to the curator, Liz Munsell, last night, and I said – you know, some of Cecilia's work is interactive. You see places where people touch it, but here we can't, which I think is so funny. And we were, and she said, oh, well, we have to preserve it. And I said, well, is the museum going to acquire, is the museum planning to keep it because it's a commission? You know, couldn't it just be destroyed in the process? Like, what do you care? And Liz said that the way that commissions work nowadays in contemporary art is that even if you pay for the commission, you don't own the piece. Huh. And the artist still owns it. You have usually you have right of first refusal mm -hmm. to purchase it, in which case you would pay whatever it costs, but you do not own it. And I thought that's so interesting because whenever I've heard about commissions, it's like I'm commissioning you to do a painting. I pay you this much. I own the painting when you're done. This is I commission you to do some work. I paid for your time and for my input into it. And now you own it. Hmm. 
right? It really puts the artist at the top. Totally interesting and different. Um, but anyway, back to Yayoi Kusama. So she does these experiential uh, rooms. And this was an infinity room, which is basically it's a box full of mirrors. This one to me was particularly interesting because it's a box full of mirrors. You just go into this room that's just lined with mirrors, top, ceiling, floor, walls, the whole thing. But there are pinholes and the pinholes are just letting in light from the outside. And when I say a pinhole, I would say the biggest one is probably the size of a quarter, maybe even a half dollar. Um, and the littlest one is probably the size of a penny. And the light creates the effect of like stars coming in because it's reflected through each of those pinholes off each of the mirrors, which then pings back, yada, yada, yada. So it's best on a sunny day, best in the morning. Um, and you can only go in one or two at a time. I chose to go in by myself and you can only go in for a minute. They open the door uh, to take you out after a minute. Um, and but, you can't go in on a rainy day. Right. You can't because it, right? it can't get wet and it has holes in the ceiling. So they cover it. Hmm. So and you have to put booties and gloves on when you go inside. Hmm. So you which, by the way, is hilarious just because I remember going to the Cordova Museum when I was a kid, which is where this exhibit was. And you could you could climb on all the outdoor sculptures, pose for pictures, da da da. You can't touch any of them now. It's just a different way of thinking about that outdoor art. But anyway, um, so it was it was really just fun because it's it actually made me think about sort of sunlight and pinhole cameras and all that kind of stuff differently. It's like, how do you create a starry night uh, in the middle of the day? Mm -hmm. And that's it's like using nature to be magical. In all sorts of ways. I just thought it was really, it was lovely. So that's two women, two living artists, uh, two non-white women, in fact. And it was fantastic to see both those pieces sort of back to back. So you mentioned actually the Museum Council at the Museum of Fine Arts. And you've actually taken over the Museum Council Instagram feed and... I wondered if you would want to just say a little about your philosophy behind what you are and are not posting, because I think it's it's uh, a good way to think about the purpose of a particular Instagram feed. Right. So the Museum Council is the young professionals <laughs> at the MFA. That's the young professional tier of membership. Um and so in thinking about the Instagram, what the point of the Instagram is, I mean, the Instagram account is really there to announce events, get people excited about events, get people excited and hopefully interested in joining, and also just to generally promote and support the museum itself. So I made kind of a policy decision. A, I made a policy decision that since they're paying me zero, and in fact, I'm paying for the privilege of doing this, so to speak, since I pay for a membership and then volunteer, um, I couldn't have this be something that would take up my life, like subsume my life. So I couldn't have to generate, you know, an enormous amount of content. So a lot of what I was going to do is going to be regramming or reposting other people's stuff. So because I made that decision, I had to think about it. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to regram other museums stuff, even though it has value. And I like it just because I feel like to promote the MFA and our circle in particular, I want to make it very MFA central. So that's one. 
two, I wanted to make MFA Museum Council members feel very much a part of the account. So I've been trying to repost their uh, their posts that are Museum Council uh, related. I have been trying to uh, put like quiz questions in the Instagram stories that people can interact with. Um, I've tried to put up current like current art news such as like the Banksy painting that destroyed itself. So it's very art related, but it, and it's very museum focused. And I try I'm trying to have every day a post about uh, an event, an artist, something that people could enjoy at the MFA. I do like the idea that you are now reposting other people's Instagram posts about things at the MFA because that's one way you build your your community online is you make them feel that they are part of actively promoting this Instagram feed. Well, the other thing is like I asked the first day I took it over, I said, hey, are you a museum council member and do you follow us? You know, we want to follow you. And I couldn't believe how many direct messages I got. And I and I think that's really important because I don't have a full membership list of who is in the museum council. So it's like I can cross reference. It's not like it's one of the questions they ask you when you sign up for membership. What's your Instagram handle? Um, because I maybe want it, to know. Maybe it should be, though. Maybe it should be. Because I want to know, like, who I can post, who I cannot, et cetera, et cetera. Because there are more than 600 museum council members. And it's like I probably have only met 50 of them face to face, you know. So it's hard to know uh, who's who. And I want everybody, one of the big things that we say is like the reason you join a special interest group like this is because you want to feel part of a group and you want to feel included, right? right? And so I think it's really important to make people feel included as best that you can. And social media is one of the ways that people feel the most comfortable reaching out and saying, hey, so I try to do it back. I One of the things, ways you do it though, I thought like today, I think you posted a picture of one of the museum council members pushing her, her new baby in a carriage. Was it at the museum by yeah. chance? And so, but the caption said, the museum has programs for families, you know, yes. whatever. So you were still keeping the focus on the museum, even though this is not necessarily on the face of it, a museum post. Right. I mean, it is a picture of her at the museum with the baby, but nonetheless, like it's a picture of a woman with a baby carriage. So I think, again, I think people think of like museum. It's a place that I go to see some art once a year or when I'm on vacation. And I think my interest, which aligns with the MFA's major goals, is... I want people to think of museum as like a place that you go to monthly, a place that you go to weekly, a place that is a hangout, a place that is like a home away from home, a place that is education, that is social, that is, uh, you know, funny, that is interesting, that is weird, that is experiential, that can be for your kids if they're in strollers or your kids if they're, you know, angry teenagers who don't want to have anything to do with anything. You know, I feel like if you're an artist, you want to draw. There's drawing, you know, in the galleries on Wednesday nights at the MFA. But do people know that? 
And they even give you like the pen and the paper and the whole thing. There's poetry writing in the galleries. There are these docent tours. I mean, I think there are so many amazing things. And I also think there are a ton of gallery owners who are members of the MFA Museum Council. There are artists who are members of the MFA Museum Council. And I feel like the more that you signal to people that these are people who are, um, would be interesting to you, people you want to hang out with, like the more that the community grows and strengthens, because it's not just about having numbers. It's kind of like I would say, okay, so you have a thousand users, but how many active users do you have? And it's, it's that idea of how many engaged people do you have? It's 10 engaged people are worth a thousand non-engaged people. So I would say, you know, like people out there who are listening to this podcast, if you've listened to every podcast, you're a rock star. If you've listened to even half, I mean, we've done 83 podcasts. If you've listened to even half of them, you're amazing because that's an that's a person who's engaged, you know, and, and those are the people who make your community strong and vibrant. Okay. I think we've come to the end of the road. Uh, did you want to? It's so hard to say goodbye. Is it? Is it really? No. Because <laughs> I know I... I'm going to see you very soon. Uh, we're going to dinner together, you guys. Absolutely. We wish you all could come. Uh, but in the meantime, you can find me at ballsordesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at ballsordesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. That's all one word. And it's A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes because that helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing and we'll see you the next time on the adventures in arting podcast